0: Well, good morning, New Life Church and friends that are watching us from different parts of the world. As Pedro mentioned, this is our 11th week that we are broadcasting, live streaming these online services. And we hope that we would be able to get together soon. We're praying that we will be able to meet each other soon. It's been wonderful to read and to see how other churches have been able to get together different parts of the world and how they've been breaking bread together, how they've been singing together. And we we look forward to that day when we'll be able to do that together as a church. But we continue our worship of the Lord virtually together on this Lord's Day. And our study is again through the Gospel of Luke, the mission of Jesus. And we've been looking at the Beatitudes in Luke chapter 6 over the last few weeks, um, studying the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, This is a sermon preached by Jesus to His disciples and a wider audience Simultaneously. And the whole sermon is about kingdom love. And Jesus is specifically teaching about the nature of a true disciple, what a true disciple looks like. And he teaches us that a true Christian is known by number one, how they view themselves. And then number two, how they love others. Um, Of course, how we view ourselves as Christians should be with a desire for purity and a hatred for sin. And how we view others is with with love, even though we may not be friends with them, or even though they may be our enemies. And that's what Jesus looks at in this passage. This whole passage is teaching us how to love, especially those who don't love us back, and especially those who don't love us well, and how we are to love those who have failed us in some way or another. And again, this is another timely message that the Lord in His providence is teaching us as a church during this coronavirus season. These are desperate times that we're living, and many people are not thriving, they, they're they just surviving. And this desperation causes people to react and respond in, in selfish ways, in angry ways, in different and strange ways than they normally would. And just this week, I heard from a few people in our church about how badly they have been treated by their employers. One lady was sharing with us that all the teachers' assistants that were employed by their school have not been paid for three months. And they were recently asked to to leave the accommodation that was provided for them by this company. And the employer said that he was going to disconnect the electricity and he was going to switch off their water And in effect, he was going to throw them out on the streets. Another lady in our church who a couple of weeks ago gave birth to a a baby daughter was informed by her manager that she will be let go after she rejoins from her maternity leave. And they asked her to use her maternity leave and all pending annual leaves before rejoining so that they don't have to pay her out. And she's been treated very unfairly only because of her race. And even though she was always at work first, the first person to be there and the the last person to leave, often um, covering for her colleagues who are unable to do the work properly and sacrificing her family time for the sake of this company, the company now is letting her go very unfairly. And I'm sure you can relate to that in one way or another. I'm sure even in your own private homes there have been times of of tension where we haven't been loving each other properly. Um, tensions between husbands and wives, tensions between children, um, because of this anxiety and the, the, the fear about the future. And we've responded in ways that, that we wouldn't normally. So as we look at this passage today, I would remind you of a couple of things. One is Jesus is here showing us how we are to respond and think about and speak to and behave towards those who have not loved us well. And this will reveal much about whether we understand the gospel and how much we have experienced God's grace to us. So let's read together from Luke chapter 6, starting from verse 27. We'll read through to verse 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Well, please pray with me before we go to God's Word together this morning. Father, we ask this morning that you would please help us as we come to you as needy people, as your children. We need counsel from you today, from your Word We know your word is inspired. We know it is profitable for all situations, even the situation we find ourselves in now. We ask, Lord, please let the meditations of our heart and the thoughts in our minds be acceptable and pleasing to you now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Warren Wiersbe, a Christian author, he once said that life is built on character. And character is built on decisions. But decisions are based on values, and values must be accepted by faith. Well, that could apply for any religion, any faith-based religion. But our faith is based on the gospel, and that makes all the difference. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel determines our behavior. The gospel determines what we value. The gospel shapes our character. And our values obviously mold our decisions. Our decisions build our character. And our Christ-like character directs our lives. As we have seen from the Beatitudes these last few weeks, Jesus was saying that, One difference between His disciples, His followers, and the world is that His disciples value something different than what the world values. Um, They treasure something different than what the world treasures. And they worship something different than what the world worships. And that makes all the difference in the difficult times. And, of course, the good times. When circumstances are hard, whether it's poverty whether it's a pandemic, whether it's hunger, whether it's friendlessness, His disciples react in a certain way because of who their treasure is, as we learned about last week. And this coronavirus is certainly challenging us to examine who and where our treasure is. But when all of this is over and done and our circumstances go back to normal, and our circumstances change, and even perhaps when our circumstances become good, instead of worshiping those circumstances and reveling in in those gifts above everything else, the Lord is saying His disciples need to continue to treasure God, to worship Him, to value Him above everything else and above everybody else. And so one great difference between believers and non-believers is going to be what they value, what they treasure. And Jesus wanted His disciples to know that God blesses those who obey Him. God blesses those who follow Him. In fact, in the fourth beatitude, Jesus says in verse 22, which we looked at last week, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the the Son of Man. So that's the context that we look at our passage this morning. We're going to verse 27, where Jesus starts off by saying, Love your enemies. So my first point this morning is from verse 27 to verse 30. Love your enemies. We're going to look at the command. Jesus begins with a general statement, love your enemies, and it's repeated a few times. But remember, in the Greek, there are four words um, that are translated as love. In English, we only have one word for love. And in verse 27, Jesus is speaking of the, the agape love, which means the highest form of, of love, the sacrificial form of love. And agape love is different from all the other types of love, which we've looked at already. It's not a love based on natural affection. It's not a love based on romantic feelings or or friendship. It is a love based on deliberate, willful choice toward one another. And it is empowered by God Himself. I've taken a few quotes that I thought would, were helpful for us to understand what this word agape means. And a few quotes from some Christian scholars. Phil Reichen, he says, Jesus called his disciples to show a delib- the deliberate affection that was not based on what people deserved, but on the grace of God. Kent Hughes, he says, But agape love supersedes natural inclinations. And often exists in spite of them. It is a deliberate love rooted in the will, a love by choice. Mike Mason, he says, "Agape love is a deep, continuous, growing and ever-renewing activity of the will superintended by the Holy Spirit." So in other words, Agape love says, "I will love this person." Because I was once just like that person. I was once selfish. I was once blinded by my sin. I was once alienated from God. But by God's grace and by God's mercy, He has freed me from this sin to act in ways that show God's love to other people, even though they may be doing me wrong. And this is powerful. This is a powerful love that God calls us to do. And we will see that we cannot do this on our own. This powerful love displays the gospel like no other way or other method could do fruitfully. And we will see how the Lord asks us to do this. Of course, our natural tendency is to wish the hurt of those who who have hurt us. And often we build up walls to protect ourselves so that we won't be hurt by others. But Jesus says, no. He says, no, we must actively love those who have done us wrong. We must actively love those who haven't loved us well or haven't loved us properly. And You may be asking at this, at this point this question, how do I do this? That's a good question. It's a good question worth asking. And Jesus doesn't just leave this question up in the air. He doesn't just leave this command up in the air, open uh, for our own private interpretation or to be determined by our, our feelings. Jesus gives us here some concrete ways in how we can love like this. Jesus gives some very specific instructions as well as some specific illustrations how we can do this. Look at the end of verse 27. We'll look at, go right through to verse 28. He tells us three things that we are supposed to do towards those who do not love us. In verse 27, do good to those who hate you. So your actions towards them are to be just and right and good and to seek their interests. Think of someone who who uh, doesn't love you. Someone who may even hate you. Then think of something good that you could do for that person. This is what the verse is telling us to do. And then do it. That's as simple as the instruction is. Nothing complicated about it. Simply do it. The problem is that we do everything we can to avoid the person who who hates us. You know, we, we don't want to have anything to do with that person. But Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. Look at verse 28. Look at the second instruction that he gives us. We are supposed to bless those who curse us. So our speech about them is to be kind and good. We're not supposed to talk behind their backs. We're not supposed to break down their their character. Our speech about them is to be kind and good. We're not supposed to be telling people how bad they are. Look Look at the rest of verse 28, the third instruction there. We are to pray for those who abuse us. We're not to... Pray down curses upon them, but to pray down God's blessings upon them. I wonder, has someone abused you? Or, as some translations put it, has someone mistreated you? Or has someone spitefully used you? You may be deeply wounded, deeply hurt. And again, you may want to have nothing to do with such a person. But instead, Jesus says, pray for those who. Abuse you, who have mistreated you. It's almost impossible to pray for someone and hate him or her at the same time. And why do you pray for that person? Because God has commanded us to. But what do we pray? What do we pray? You may pray that God's grace will overwhelm that person and that he or she will see God as as utterly holy and themselves as completely helpless and hopeless. And they would recognize their sin and their need, their desperate need for the grace of God. And When you pray like that, you love your enemy. And that is the most loving prayer that you could pray for your enemy. But the Lord continues. Look at verse 29 there. And in verse 30, Jesus gives four illustrations about loving our enemies. First, we love our enemies by enduring insults. Jesus says in verse 29, the first part, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Look at verse 30, give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. In verse 29, many scholars say that Jesus is referring to to an insult here, um, he's not referring to a physical, um, a physical act by being s- struck on the jaw. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. Um, in the ancient world, if a person wanted to insult somebody, he would slap the other person with the back of his hand on the, on the opposite cheek. So a right-handed person would slap another person on the right cheek when he wanted to insult them. And that's what this, this is referring to here. So Jesus is not commentating about physical violence, but he's telling his disciples to endure insults for his name's sake. And you may endure insults if your, if your spouse or your parents or your family member or colleague or friend is, is not a believer and mocks you for your faith, mocks you about your, your faith in Jesus. And Jesus says, offer the other cheek also. And that is, love keeps enduring insults for Jesus' sake. The second illustration is at the end of verse 29. Jesus says at the end of verse 29, And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. So we love our enemies by suffering loss. And Jesus calls His disciples to be willing to suffer loss because we are more concerned about the needs of other people than we are about our own. And He was saying that if someone was desperate enough to take our cloak or coat in modern-day language, let him have the shirt off your back as well. In the third illustration, Jesus says, we must love our enemies by by sharing generously. Jesus said in the first part of verse 30. Give to everyone who begs from you. I think the King James Version correctly translates that word to ask instead of beg. So Jesus was not talking about giving to beggars or to people who will use what is given for wrong purposes or evil purposes. Here he's talking about people who ask, our enemies who ask. And our fourth illustration is at the end of verse 30. Jesus says, And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. So he's building up on these illustrations. We love our enemies by not demanding payback. That's radical. That's radical, isn't it? And Jesus is not talking here about people stealing but rather about people borrowing and, and not returning what is borrowed. Now, Jesus said that we should not harass them for our goods. So we're talking about the enemies here. So if you've borrowed a book from me, this doesn't apply to you, okay? You can give me my books back, no problem, all right? And I can harass you for that, okay? That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's talking about our enemies. We don't want to do evil to them. That's not our intent. We want to be generous with them. That should be our intent Now, how are we to implement these illustrations and jesus is really calling us here to err on the side of generosity and of course there are limits to our generosity what we should give what we can give and there may be times when it is more loving not to give because giving will hurt rather than help that person We think of times when we do not give to our children because we know that what they are asking for is not good for them. So in our wisdom, we have to determine how we can help. And so we're often called to make these difficult decisions. But we are called to choose to love. That's basically, that's fundamentally what Jesus is saying. How we can love our enemies by giving them what they truly need. So Jesus is really stepping on our toes here, isn't He? He's confronting our greed. He's confronting our our selfishness. And He's encouraging us to be generous, not to store up all these goods in our barns for ourselves. And in all these things, His radical love requires us to respond to wrongs That people have against us with positive ministry, with love towards those who do us wrong. Not to retaliate or not to think of personal vengeance. And Jesus sums this up in the next principle known as the the golden rule. That's my second point. The second point is from verse 31 to verse 34. Love your enemies, the rule, the golden rule. So if everyone would follow this simple rule, we would have no angry quarrels. There would be no lying. There would be no stealing. There would be no abusive speech. There would be no violence. Everyone would treat everyone else with respect and kindness, being sensitive to the needs and the feelings of others. It would be heaven on earth. But I'm sure there are some of us right now thinking, yes, if my wife and my kids would just do what I asked them to do. Our home would be a great place. I hope they're listening to pastor's message this morning. But we can't point the finger at others. Remember, when we do that, we've got four fingers pointing back at us. We must obey this radical command in spite of how others treat us, in spite of how others respond to us. Look at verse 31. And as you wish, that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. There's a wonderful example, illustration that I found this week while researching this passage about a pastor and his wife who responded with this type of love. It was during the collapse of the Berlin Wall in 1989, and no person in all of East Germany was more despised than the former communist dictator Erich Honecker. He had been stripped of his office; even the Communist Party had rejected him. He had been kicked out of his accommodation, his villa where he lived, and the new government refused to look after him and refused to look after his wife and provide housing for them. And the Hanukkahs were were homeless, and they were were destitute. But one pastor by the name of of Uwe Holmer, he was a director of a Christian help center that was north of Berlin, he was made aware of the, the Hanukkahs' difficulties. And Pastor Holmer felt it would be wrong to give them a room meant for even more needy people so instead, the pastor and his family decided to take this former dictator into their own home. And the story goes Eric Honecker's wife, Margot, had ruled the East German education system for 26 years. And eight of Pastor Holmer's ten children had been turned down for higher education due to Mrs. Honecker's policies, which discriminated against Christians. And now the homers were caring for their personal enemy, the most hated man and woman in all of Germany. This was so unnatural. It was so unconventional. It was so supernatural. But it was so Christ-like that people still talk about it today. How Christians were treating their enemies, not expecting anything back in return. And they never did get anything back in return from the Honechus. But their testimony was a display of the gospel for the world to see how Christians are to love. And how supernaturally the Lord transforms our affections and our feelings. By the grace of God, the, the homers loved their enemies. They did them good They blessed him, and they prayed for them, and they turned the other cheek, and they gave their enemies their own coat in this instance, which was their, their home. And they did to the Hanukkahs what they would have wished the Hanukkahs would have done to them. But notice what Jesus says in verse 32 there. Even sinners love those who love them, but my disciples are going to be different they're going to love even when those who don't love them. They're going to give to even those who can't give back to them. And they're going to seek the best interest of others, even those who haven't been looking after them. This is radical. This is a radical command. And the very standard of it separates Christians from the rest of the world. Our values and our character from the rest of the world and how they respond and how they act in trying circumstances. And here we see the third point. This is where it comes together. In verse 35 and in verse 36, Jesus says, Love your enemies. Here is the reward. In verse 35, But love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is mercifully as merciful. So normally, people love, either because we have been loved by the one we are loving. Or we love in hopes that our love will be reciprocated. But Jesus is talking about how you love those who don't love you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a Christian, and you know that loving your enemy is impossible, that is why we need to stay close to the cross of Jesus Christ. That is why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. It's here at the cross of Jesus where we see the power of God's love that enabled Jesus to love His enemies. And it is at the cross of Jesus where we find the power of God's love to enable us to love our enemies. Disciples who love their enemies demonstrate that they are, in fact, sons of the Most High God. That's what Jesus is saying here. When He says that you will be sons of the Most High, He does not mean that you will become a child of God by doing good works, by just loving people and not loving Christ. That's not what He's talking about here. He's talking about the fruit. Remember, our root is in Christ. Christ. The root is in Christ already, and this fruit that has been produced is that of Christ. This is Christ-like character, and we prove it in our loving deeds. We bear His likeness, just as our physical children bear our resemblance at times as as parents. God shows His kindness to ungrateful and evil people by giving them life, by giving them health, by giving them food and clothing and many other blessings. And most of these people never express their gratitude to God, yet He keeps on giving it to them. When we show God's radical love by being kind to those who mistreat us, by treating others as we wish to be treated, by giving when there's nothing in it for us, sometimes those in the world will notice and they will ask, Why are you so different? That's when we tell them about God's love in Jesus Christ. Just like Pastor Homer and his wife, how they showed the love of Christ. The world was asking, why are you so different? Do people see that type of love in you? Are people asking those types of questions? That's when we get to tell them about God's love in Jesus. Let's conclude as we bring this together this morning. There's a story I'm sure all of you heard of a life god who risked his life to to save someone from drowning. But suppose you're that lifeguard, and you've been watching a, a beautiful girl on the beach, if you're a man. She goes in the water, and the undertow begins sucking her out to sea, and she calls for help. Will you go and rescue her? Probably you'll be out there in a flash, hoping that your love will be reciprocated. Hoping that your efforts will be reciprocated. But let's say that as you're sitting in your lifeguard tower, you see a person who had wronged you terribly. He lied about you. He gossiped about you. He slandered your character. And then he may have even stolen your Your girlfriend, even worse, he he caught you one night and then he, he beat you up, even though you did nothing to provoke him. And this person goes out into the water and he starts drowning. Would you go and rescue him? Jesus was hated. He was hated by Judas. He was hated by the Pharisees and by all the people who demanded his crucifixion. But yet he loved his enemies. Jesus was cursed by the false witnesses who testified against him, the soldiers who mocked him, and the governor who sentenced him to die a God forsaken death. Jesus was abused by the priests who who whipped him, the soldiers who hung him up to die, and all the people swore at him while he was dying on the cross. He was hated by his enemies. But still, he loved them. Still, he prayed for them while he was hanging on that cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His enemies struck him on the cheek and struck him again, insulted him as the the Son of God, his true identity. They took away both his cloak and his tunic, leaving him naked to die. They stripped him of everything that he had, even his dignity. Yet he died for his enemies. How did he respond? He responded by loving them and giving his life to pay the penalty for their sins. As he was dying on the cross, suffering at the hands of his enemies, Jesus was showing them this agape love, the very kind of love that He calls His disciples to demonstrate to our enemies. Jesus was doing good to those who hated Him, suffering the punishment they deserved for their sins. Jesus was blessing those who, who cursed Him, offering salvation to the thieves on the cross. He was praying for those who abused Him. And this is where we learn to love our enemies not by our own methods, not by our own good moral standards, but by the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. We see His love demonstrated to the ungodly, to His enemies, to the sinners. Look at the slide on Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, verse 6, we see these words, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not while we were His friends. While we were ungodly. Look at verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we Be saved by his life. This is the love that Jesus is calling us to. This is the love that we are to emulate as his disciples. This is that radical love, that powerful love that the unbelieving world will not understand, that will point them to Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus, if you're a Christian, You know that loving your enemies is impossible. And that is why you and I must stay close to the cross of Jesus. It's at the cross of Jesus where we see the power of God's love that enabled Jesus to love His enemies. It's at the cross of Jesus where we find the power of God's love to enable us to love our enemies. This is the power of the gospel. Now words need to be backed up. By our actions. In South Africa, we have a word for people who don't do what they say. We call them yabrus. Yes, brothers. Direct translation. They just speak, but they don't do. As Christians, our words need to be backed up by our actions. The gospel is not just a theory. The gospel is manifest In us in difficult situations. The gospel is manifest in us in difficult circumstances. When you've experienced unloving behavior from a work colleague, from a loved one in your home, from a friend, and you forgive and love them in return, you are displaying the love of Christ. I said in the beginning of the sermon, the gospel determines our values. The gospel determines and molds our decisions. Our decisions build our character, and our Christ-like character directs our lives. What determines your values? As we come to the end this morning, we need to ask that question. What determines your values? If you are a Christian, the answer to that Question should be the gospel. The gospel. Loving our enemies is the opportunity to show the character of Christ. Loving our enemies gives us the opportunity to show Christ's love and the gospel and the effects of the gospel in our lives to unbelievers who've never heard about this before. I was so blessed this week and reminded again talking to Brother Hytham. He was what telling me he a... never read the Bible. He didn't understand the values of Christians. But it was this verse that he read on Facebook that made him question, why is Jesus telling us to love our enemies? That's supernatural. That's not natural. And he saw that type of love in other brothers in Christ. And he realized that there was something indeed powerful in this message of the gospel that they were preaching and he listened and he listened and he embraced Jesus there's a song we used to sing when I was a youth called I saw Jesus in you by Ron Hamilton maybe you've heard the song before but as I show these words to you and read them to you i wonder if these words could be true of you this morning listen to these words by Ron Hamilton When I enter heaven's glory and I see my Savior's face, I will offer Him 10,000 years of praise. Then I'll find that special one in whose life I saw God's Son. And through tears of joy with trembling lips, these words I'll say, I saw Jesus in you. I saw Jesus in you. I could hear His voice in the words you said I saw Jesus in you. In your eyes, I saw his care. I could see his love was there. You were faithful, and I saw Jesus in you. I've heard that song sung at a funeral once. Powerful. Powerful. I wonder if that song could be sung at your funeral. What a blessing that would be to the testimony of the gospel. And why is God allowing all this suffering and sorrow? to happen to us at this time with this coronavirus it's a question asked by everyone and a question is not left unanswered folks romans 8 28 tells us and i've shared this many times with you all things work together for good for those who love god to those who are called according to his purpose so what exactly is god's purpose for my life look at the next part of the verse To be conformed to the image of His Son. To be conformed to the image of His Son. If you are a Christian, if you claim to love God, then realize that you've been called according to His purpose. Now make it your purpose to live your life today so that people will see Jesus in you. Love your enemies. Do what is not natural. Do what the Lord commands so that others will see the power of the gospel displayed in the supernatural love. Can your children see Jesus in you? Can your spouse see Jesus in you? Can your enemies see Jesus in you? Every day, in some way, God is using all things, all of this sorrow, all of this suffering to make you more and more like Jesus in your character, in your conduct, in your conversation, and your commerce in this world. Cooperate with Him by embracing with a thankful heart whatever His hand permits through the boundary of His protective love. He will never leave us or forsake us Remember that promise. And in all of these ways, remember He is doing this for His glory and for our joy. Love our enemies as Christ loved His enemies. And may the gospel be powerfully demonstrated in our lives this week, this month, this season, as we share the hope of this world with those dying in their sins. Pray with me. Father, we do beg you this morning that we would make it our purpose to live our lives so that others may see Jesus in us. Forgive us, Lord, where we have been thinking so much about ourselves, so much about our own circumstances, and often doubting you. Forgive us. Unbelief, Lord, and help us to remember that you are sovereign. All these molecules flying around us, even the very air in our lungs is sovereignly allowed by you, and you are in control, and you have a purpose. May we be the people that can be used for your purpose, people who are obedient, people who are following you, who are loving our enemies who are being like Christ. And I pray, Lord, when our course is run, people will say, I saw Jesus in you. I pray, Lord, that would be true of us as a church today. And perhaps the people watching this morning who've seen Jesus in many Christians around them, people who've been holding on to the hope of our sovereign God, people who haven't been anxious, people who have been tender, people who have been kind people who have turned the other cheek, people who have given their their cloak, people who have loved, and they're wondering, why are we so different? I pray this morning that you, Lord, would give them a heart of flesh this morning and give them the faith they need to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would repent of their sins and turn to the one and true God and worship Him alone and give Him the glory that He deserves. Lord, I pray we would do that this week with our lives, that we would give you the glory that you deserve. You are worthy of all of our praise, Lord. We are your children. You are our God. May we worship you in spirit and in truth, in word and in deed. We ask this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.